Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, interest rates. Before I do that, I will do a little bit of cleanup, last minute cleanup on chapter uh, five. And then you'll have a quiz. The uh, quiz will start at 425. And uh, when you're finished with that, that's it for the day. And I definitely want to get through a few things. And there's actually going to be something that I do here. Really? Oh. We'll have a look at the numbers here, and then one of the things we'll do might be useful for you to know for the quiz, a little reminder, but for the time being, was it a bull day or a bear day? Uh, bull. <laughs> bull? <laughs> kind of a little bit. Actually, it was funny because in the last class, we were down for the day, and now we're up for the day, and it's like the Dow is up 0.13, the S&P 500 is up 0.40, and the NASDAQ is up a little more. It's not an awesome day, but it's kind of funny because it just was kind of all over the place. And the trading is just thin. Look, look here, um, uh, S&P 500, uh, the, those 500 stocks traded a total today of 1.85 million billion shares. On a typical day, it would have been about twice that at 3.7 billion shares. So this was definitely not a spectacular, exciting day. It's, it's, we're still in this, what's going to happen next? We don't have too much of a direction, although the international markets seem to uh, be pointing to, relatively speaking, the U.S. economy is going to be stronger than others. And I'll show you how you can look at that here in a minute. I've brought it up before, but just going back here. Again, it wasn't any kind of spectacular day, but let me take you over here. Crude, we're below the 90, which I suspected we probably would be. It, that 90 is sort of like a soft resistance level. It got above it, but it just couldn't hold there. And as I had predicted uh, last week, we did have a rise in gasoline prices, but it wasn't anything severe. It was up about 10 cents, not, uh, not any kind of apocalypse. We certainly don't want the uh, energy prices going through the roof because that could easily kill off the recovery that we are in. But still, we're doing pretty well right now. Notice, interestingly enough, uh, this is kind of sucks, bonds were up, uh, the yields were up. Uh, whoa, almost 10 and a half basis points. So that would mean the prices were down. So investors were getting out of bonds and they were tentatively moving probably a little of that money into equities moving toward, but it's still, it's nothing, no, no major rush to the equities. But gold took a toilet break. It's well below that, 
that uh, neckline at $2,000 an ounce. There's no reason to believe that the gold bugs think there's going to be an apocalypse. But now look at this. The euro depreciated against the dollar, and so did the uh, British pound. That means that their currencies got weaker against the dollar. And so did the Japanese yen. It's quoted backwards, so it weakened. That would not be interest rates. Probably that's just national income growth, the relative growth rate of the U.S. economy versus the Eurozone's economy and Britain's uh, economy and Japan's economy. So to that extent, we see that those currencies are weakening. Therefore, the dollar is strengthening which seems to be pointing to relatively more strength in the U.S. economy than that uh, than the economies of the other big countries of the world. Good news for us, uh, we are, we're still chugging along here, and that's good news for you as you want to go out there and get internships and jobs in the coming months and year or so. So that's good, and it's also Ultimately, that just historically, that's good for the uh, for the party in power in the White House. Is a strong economy tends to favor the uh, candidate, uh, the incumbent, over the opponent. But that's still out there some ways, and there's a lot of other factors involved in that. Looking over on the other side of the world, yesterday, not last night. The uh, Nikkei had a strong a couple of surges, one big one in the morning, and then another one in the early afternoon, and then it kind of drifted, but still it was up for the day. Not, not a respectable 0.85%. London, on the other hand, once uh, Tokyo had closed up shop, London woke up a few hours later, and as you can see, that was a generally a down day. Although if you look here at the end, there was a slight bull run here at the end. That could have been bargain hunting. If you see stock prices go down, sometimes you will see a lifting as investors go in and look for stocks that went down in price just because everything else went down in price and they're undervalued. So there at the end you had a slight bull run. It was certainly not enough to bring the uh, FTSE 100 back up to where it started, but it it was good news, and that optimism seems to have kind of translated over here. Notice we started out in a grouchy mood. The Dow was down in the early, and then it bobbled around, finally came up, and so did the NASDAQ. But there's still a lot of uh, caution on the uh, uh, among the heavies, the big dog uh, investors. So sit here and watch. We can't do anything about what's happening, but we can certainly watch it and we can know why. At least we can have some good ideas as to why it's happening. And you don't need fancy software packages and all that. You can think your way through, follow the news, and think for yourselves on these things. Now I'm going to take you through a, uh, on a couple of stocks here. And uh, just focusing on one sector, let me start out with CVS. Now, CVS is obviously a retail pharmacy. CVS has had its problems, and one problem that's going on right now is 
the pharmaceutical pharmacy retailers had a very strong boost in their business during the out the pandemic people going in there to get their tests and their shots and all that kind of stuff and that was great news and then when the pandemic faded well that business faded with it quite a bit now we've had a couple of resurgences of covid as some of you probably already know you've gotten it or you've had a friend get it but it's not the uh, plague that the original was. And so, yeah, these variants that keep popping up are more the run-of-the-mill stuff, and they're not going to cause any major surge in profitability of the companies that dispense the shots. CVS and Walgreens, uh, which is technically Walgreens Boot Alliance, uh, they are in fierce competition. Good news for both of them is that a somewhat less known uh, competitor called Rite Aid has finally bitten the dust. Even at that, though, well, of course, that one competitor goes out, then the uh, other companies can divvy up the proceeds. However, the other side of that is the CVS and Walgreens compete fiercely against each other and they also have the incursion of the big box retailers that have pharmacies that offer the shots like Meyer, Hy-Vee and others in other parts of the country. So it's kind of a mixed bag. The other thing is that these companies, both CVS and Walgreens, have overbuilt spectacularly. Have you noticed that there's a, pharma, uh, there's a Walgreens or a CVS on every corner in the country now? It's just everywhere you have these. And so they, uh, that, that, that kind of is an inevitable part of competition when you don't plan it out. You just, every time your competitor puts up a store, you put one on the other side of the street kind of thing. Looking, taking that all into account, we can look at CVS Health Corp, which has a trading symbol CVS, three letters, New York Stock Exchange. Starting out with the easy stuff. Madam, is this a safe or a risky company? Safe. Why do you say that? Because the beta is low. I love it when you talk like that. Talking finance just makes my heart warm and my shoes a little bit sweaty. Okay. In a, in, a, in a manly sort of way, you understand, don't you? Okay, now, is is this company overvalued, undervalued? What do you say to that? Um, it's just a tad bit overvalued. A little bit. It's not enough for me to get trading happy. It's 33 P.E. ratio. Yeah, that's a little above 30, but it's probably not enough for me to get excited about overvaluation right now. The next thing, well, the next thing is, so what say you? Is this a company that uh, is profitable? Look at the EPS. Yeah. Yes, it is, it is quite, it is profitable. You know, it's not spectacular. $2.19 a share is certainly nothing to snort at. So that, yeah, we've got all the makings. Safe company, profitable, about a, a right on the price uh, right now. And finally, the dividend on this thing. Is uh, this company paying a dividend? Indeed it is. 
you get buy a share of that stock at 72.57, you'll get a dividend of $2.42, which is a dividend yield of 3.40%, $2.42 divided by 72.57. Now, I'm going to do the return, the annual return, the holding period return. I'm not saying that this will be on the quiz today, but it will be on the quiz today, a problem like this. I'm not saying it will be, but it will be. Okay, so what we would want to do is, of course, go and get the stupid calculator, which I, which I exit and I realize I still need it. So the way you do it, okay, we're going to take Yahoo Finance as the forecasting psychic authority saying that this stock will be in exactly one year, $90 and... 80 cents. So we divide that by what we're going to pay for it one year before that today, which is 72.57. And then we minus one. And then we're going to times the result by 100. And we get a whopping just the capital gain return is 25.12%. Now, for a stock that has a beta of 0.61, that's darn fine. That's impressive as heck. So that's the capital gain. Now, this company pays a dividend, so we'll add in the dividend yield to that 25.12, so plus 3.40% dividend yield. Survey says, holy cow, a one-year hold on this stock would give a total one-year holding period return of 28.52%. That is darn fine, and especially because it's a low beta stock. If it pulls this off, well, I mean, that's certainly better than throwing $72.57 into a savings account at a bank where you'd probably be lucky to get 2% right now. So this is definitely a, a, an interesting investment, especially at that low beta. If you're, if you're not really into taking big risks, this is darn fine. Now, let's look at its competitor. That would be the Walgreen Boot Alliance, WBA, Walgreen, Walgreens. And there we go. It, CVS had a good day up. Walgreens had a good day up. Now, let's look at Walgreens. In terms of Walgreens, is this a safe or a risky stock? Yes. A little bit riskier than CVS, but it's still in that same band, 0.69. That's a, that's a low-risk stock right there. Now, here's the problem, though. We don't see a P.E. ratio. Is this company profitable, madam? No. This is losing, Walgreens is losing money. But what the, the part that just leaves you sort of, well, leaves me just with a jaw dropped, Look at the yield, the dividend yield on that stock. They pay a dividend of $1.92 when they lost $3.84.
They didn't have the money to pay that dividend. They dug that out of their retained earnings just to keep the dividend where the shareholders would be happy. So, uh, I mean, for $21.34, you're going to get a dividend check of $1.92. You can't beat that. That's an 8.95% return right there just on the dividend, not even counting the stock price going up. So let's have a look at this and see what... uh, uh, do the holding period return again. We'll do, well, Yahoo says in exactly one year the stock will be priced at $31.31. We'll divide that by what you're paying for it one year earlier today, which would be $21.34. So there you go, and then we'll minus the one. <laughs> the capital gain yield, just the stock going up in price, is a whopping 46.72%. That's just on the stock price going up. You buy it today, $21.34. You sell it in exactly one year for $31.30, uh, $34.31. No, $31.31. You got a return on just the stock price going up of $46.72%. And then if you add in the dividend yield, which is 8.95%, well, butter my biscuits and call me delicious, 55.67% return on a Beta of 6.69. As you can see, that is uh, nothing short of freaking spectacular. If it comes through, if Yahoo is right, that's an uh, that's a staggering return uh, on the investment. I mean, you can't beat that with stocks. You've seen me calculate these holding period returns for other stocks with higher betas. They weren't anywhere near this. So yeah. This is one of those investments. It's a low-risk investment. The only danger with Walgreen is that it's got negative earnings. It's bleeding. And how are we going to figure out what to do about that is anyone's guess. Now, one of the things that I... Now, this is where we get into the more fundamental analysis. And I'm walking you through my thinking process because you can do this too. you, you just say, okay, they did really well because it was a pandemic. They were selling those shots, and the insurance company was paying them, so they didn't even have to worry about the consumers having the money for the shots. The government was paying for the shots for people. It was just a, a great time to be alive, watching a pandemic wipe out more than a million people in the country. But it went away, and now COVID is becoming essentially just one more of the common viruses. It's beginning to go right into the epidemiological path of influenzas and other things like that, noroviruses, whatever. Okay, so where are they going to get their money? Well, there will be resurgences, and that'll get people back in to keep their boosters going. That'll be fine. However, 
there's another thing that is in favor of companies like CVS and Walgreens. The baby boomers. They're getting old. They pass a certain age and then they are really strongly pushed to get these shots like the shingle shot and the pneumonia shot. Plus there's RSV. Uh, uh, vax. Now the big thing about the shingles shot and the pneumonia shot is that they are both two-shot protocols now. So you don't get one punch of money from these old geezers, you get two punches of money from them. And these baby, this baby boomer wave is just going to keep coming along here for, uh, for at least five to, five to ten year, more years. Great news. And if you don't know anything about these shots, like the shingle shot, $300 a pop. Fortunately, if you got insurance, it'll pay for it. But that's okay to the CVS and Walgreens. They don't care who pays them. Someone's going to pay them $300 each time they go in there and get uh, stuck with a needle. That's good news for these kinds of companies. As more of these preventative uh, vaccines come along to protect older people, you'll see more of this, you'll see these revenues showing up at these pharmaceutical retailers. That's great uh, for this kind of an investment. This is fundamental analysis, thinking about what drives revenue for a specific company, for a specific industry, what are the factors that are going to drive it forward hard? What are the factors that are fading away? How do they balance? So you think about it in those terms. This was not a bad. This is not a bad industry to put some money into. Are there better? Well, hell, there are always better and there are always worse. But this is sort of a time when we've got new vaccines coming out, like the RSV vaccine. We've got some that'll be coming out rumors down the road of an HIV vaccine. Certainly there are now rumors of common cold vaccines uh, that may come down the pike and uh, other vaccines too. Good news for the pharmacy companies. So that's how you do fundamental analysis. Numbers matter, but so does thinking about the larger issues as they impact these companies. But anyway, more reason why you should join the dark side and be a finance major or something. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe not. Okay. Let's go on to another subject here. I'm trying to think. Who should I ask about this? Uh, look at someone who looks immortal. You. Are you going to live forever? I wish. But you won't. Mm -hmm. No. No. You will not live forever. You'll live past me, obviously. I'm going to die, probably pretty soon. And then that'll give you all a chance to go piss on my grave. But the joke is on you. I'm going to get cremated and have my ashes sprinkled around a white castle in Joliet. It's my favorite one. Their motto is, where the pickings are slim and the customers aren't. Pulled up to the drive through window last week. What do you want? Well, I want it ain't on the menu. Shut up and order your food. Okay. What I'm trying to get at here is that we don't live forever. But there are entities that 
theoretically could live forever. They just will keep going. Now, they, we know that most of the time they die, they go away, but there's not a, some biological or physical reason for them to go away. Corporations are, in that sense, immortal. There is not an end time. You prepare financial statements on the assumption of a going concern. A, you can do accruals because they'll be paid off down the road. And you keep doing that 10 years, 50 years, 200 years. You just, there's no reason why it's going to end uh, other than the, just corporate stuff and all that. Governments, oftentimes, we can assume that a government will have a, an immortality to it. Uh, whether or not it does is pretty much speculative, but I recall the, uh, one of the call statements that was made in, to get us hyped up in the service. As this country will live forever, so will you as a soldier live forever because you fought and died for it. That wasn't much motivation for me. It was that word die that got my attention. But anyway, here. An annuity is just a cash flow. Remember I said that last time? Well, there's a kind of annuity that's special in cash flow. The cash flow goes on forever. It's called a perpetuity. The cash flow is periodic and it never stops. It goes on forever. Now there are two flavors that we'll look at here. There is a level perpetuity. It's the same amount every time. Same amount of money every time a cash uh, is dispersed. Then there's another one which we will look at. It's called a constant growth perpetuity. This is one that goes on forever, and the cash flow increases at a constant rate forever. Now, if you had a corporation, or if you had some kind of a security that paid the same amount every year, let's say, forever, that would be a level perpetuity. And in fact, there is a security that does that. We talk all the time about stock, stock, stock. What we really are probably talking about is the big famous kind, common stock. But there is another kind of equity, which is called preferred stock. It's not well known anymore. It used to be fairly well known and popular but it's lost a lot of its luster over the past, well, I don't know, 20 years. In fact, I used to be, long ago, I used to be able to pull up preferred stock quote. Well, let's look at this preferred stock. Not easy to find them anymore. They're not, just not that, uh, I was digging through industries. Okay, where the heck is preferred stock? Where can I find some? I couldn't think of any company off the top of my head. I started running into it it seems like it's still around in real estate corporations, some kinds of real estate corporations. Still, and I, that makes sense because they do something called REITs. I can explain those later, but that seems to be where most of the action is. 
Now, here's the thing about preferred stock. Preferred stock, it has on the stock certificate itself, used to be paper, now it's electronic. It tells you, if you own that, that preferred stock, how much you will get every year. Dollar, not percent, dollar. Let me give you an example. ZPL. 1.8% preferred par value, let's say, $60 per share. That's what it would say on the certificate, something like that. What that means is that every year, forever, you will get for each share that you own of that, 1.8% times $60. You will get that every year, forever, in perpetuity. Now, if I flog, and of course I've exited the calculator again like an imbecile, it will take 0 0.018 times 60. So that's a dollar eight per share you will get forever in perpetuity. It's not just a perpetuity, it's a level perpetuity. It'll be that for, uh, you understand that this is, was quite popular in large family trusts because it's relatively safe. Compared to the common stock, it's very safe because you've got a guaranteed dividend. In uh, common stock, there's no guarantee you'll get the dividend. If times go bad, a company can just stop paying dividend or lower the dividend. This is guaranteed. And there's another thing about preferred. A company cannot pay a common dividend unless it has paid its preferred dividend. A corporation cannot pay a common dividend unless it has paid its preferred dividend. Now, I'm going to put in and uh, edit a word in. You can see some preferred stock that is called cumulative. That means I'm a corporation. Didn't have enough money to pay my preferred dividend. So the common didn't get a dividend. Next year, didn't have enough to pay the preferred dividend. Year after that, I didn't have enough. In order for that company to ever pay a common dividend again, it has to make up all of the back preferred dividends. That's quite a burden. If a company's been having difficulty for five years, it starts to crawl out. It wants to signal the common shareholders, well, we're okay, here's a dividend. It can't do it unless it is taking care of all of its back preferred dividends. That's the power of cumulative preferred. And so you can see why it has become rather unpopular with corporations to issue this. It's like the marriage from hell. It doesn't end when, uh, uh, at, at any time, you just have this constant pressure to get the preferred dividends paid. Because if you don't, 
then you can't give the common shareholders their dividend, and they're the ones who are going to punish the hell out of your stock by selling it and dropping its price. Again, that's why preferred dividends, uh, preferred stock rather, isn't popular as a capital raising instrument. Back in the day, I mean, a company could do an IPO, just preferred stock. You could just, okay, we're gonna raise a bunch of money with preferred stock. If they could sell it at almost a, a exactly, it would go out the door at almost exactly its, uh, its uh, par value. And one of the things was, you'll see this a little later in the course, investment bankers charge money for doing an IPO for a company. They take a piece of the action. If a stock is selling, if Facebook wants to go public at $50 a share, they're gonna take some of that $50 for themselves. It's called the brokerage fee, what we call the flotation cost. Preferred stock, is, it has historically been so easy to get rid of by the investment banking house to sell out, they charge a much lower flotation cost on it. Because obviously investors, investors who are risk averse like preferred stock. They can do their projections of their cash inflows because they know what that preferred dividend is going to be every year. So they like it. So the IBs used to like to issue it. They didn't charge much because they knew they could dump it off on life insurance companies, trust funds, and estates. Think of this. You, sir, you're very rich. You put money into preferred stock because it's kind of like almost a guaranteed investment. Uh, when you die, you can bequeath that through your estate to your beneficiaries, and they'll get it that same dividend you got for all of their lives. And when they die, they can pass it on. So in other words, preferred stock is an intergenerational cash flow. I mean, you can't even say that about common stock. You don't even know if the company's going to be alive after your death, but, but, or if the dividend is going to be good. But with preferred, it was very popular. So back to the main story here, though. Back to the, um, to the big issue. Um, level. Now, here's the thing. Level is a way to, it, it, they, there's a formula. Now here's, here's where it gets a little bit, I remember I said that there are some finance formulas that are easier to do on a calculator than they are to whip out Excel. This is one of those. The formula for the present value of an infinite level stream is going to be the cash flow divided by the discount rate. The level amount per period divided by the periodic interest rate. Or discount rate, I should call that the discount rate. So in this case, let's say that the discount rate on ZPL preferred is eight point, I don't know, six percent. So I can figure out 
present value of ZPL preferred is going to be nothing but a dollar eight per year divided by 8.6%. And you got it. That's the intrinsic value of the stock, right there. Divided by 0 0.086, $12.56. That's the per share intrinsic value of the stock. Preferred stock is a joy. <clears throat> On the midterm, I will give you, calculate the intrinsic value. Yes? Where did you find the 8.6%? Uh, in my butt. Okay. okay. And you know what I did? I pulled it out of my butt to put it on the board. Later, I'll show you how you get those. There's, a, there's this famous model called the capital asset pricing model. It, it sounds cool, and the equation looks awesome, but it's really just an arithmetic equation. When I show you the CAPM, it will impress you so much that you'll want to get a tat of the CAPM equation. I mean, seriously. You show that for your profile picture on Tinder, and no one will swipe left. <laughs> oh God, why did I even ask a question for? <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. Now, there, this can be used for common stock too, but it has to be the corporation uh, uh, behind the common stock has to be one kind. If it is a certain kind of corporation, we can pretty much figure out the intrinsic value of the common stock by assuming that the intrinsic value is the present value of the infinite stream of dividends. Well, that infinite stream certainly isn't going to be level. It's going to bounce around. However, once the corporation gets old enough, it will finally get to a place where the dividend stabilizes to grow at a constant rate. It's one of the things that is just how old corporations work. I wasn't sure I even bought this back in the day when I was teaching a course, courses like this. I thought, is there really a constant growth rate of dividends of older, stable corporations? So I went through a bunch of corporations and looked at their dividends year over year. Okay, dividend, this last dividend divided by the previous year's dividend minus one. Okay, you get a growth rate. Then that dividend divided by the, the year before that minus one. That's a growth rate. And I did this for a bunch of older, stable corporations. Sure enough, they, con they, they had constant growth rates of the dividends. It would range anywhere from 1.0% up to, I can't remember if it was Target or one of those, a 2.25% dividend, but they do stabilize. So I can use a constant growth rate version of that perpetuity formula to get the intrinsic value, the present value of the common stock 
of an old stable corporation. The formula, the constant growth rate formula version, is that the present value will be the cash flow in period zero grown one period. So in other words, you're talking about the dividend one period out divided by the discount rate minus the growth rate. Let me show you an example. TLR Corp just paid a $2.25 per share dividend to its common shareholders. That is expected to grow at a relatively constant rate of 1.85% for the foreseeable future. We can find the intrinsic value of the stock. The present value of TLR common will be equal to $2.25, the current cash flow grown one period at 1.85%. Divided by, oh, let me pull another one out here. The R, let's say, is 6.75%, the discount rate for the cash flows. So it'd be 0 0.0675 minus 0 0.0185. It's arithmetic, but for heaven's sakes, don't forget to put that denominator in parentheses. Unlike I, Duke, all the time, forgetting it. On the calculator, I'd say $2.25 times, open parenthesis, 1 plus 0 0.0185, the growth rate of dividends, divided by, open parentheses, 0 0.0675, the discount rate, less 0 0.0185, the growth rate. And close the parenthesis. Survey says, stock's worth $46.77, intrinsic. That's its intrinsic value. Old corporations are pretty easy to find where the intrinsic is. 
So in other words, if I see the price below that, then I'm probably going to say it's undervalued. If I see the price much above that, I'll say it's overvalued. Typically, if the price is about 46.77, that's probably making a P.E. ratio of around uh, 30. That's why I use that 30, is because it seems to be in agreement with price earning, uh, with the intrinsic values for a lot of old corporations. Not so much for younger corporations because they're ha they have their their dividends are bouncing around. They might not even be paying a dividend, but we've got a way for them too. And part of the way for them is to use the constant growth rate formula, because what we do is we assume that their dividend is bouncing around, but eventually it will stabilize and we can get a pre present value out there. We call that the horizon value. And then we can telescope it in by present value with all the popping, jumping around dividends and get an approximate present value that way, uh, intrinsic price that way. You don't have to worry about that now. This is a relatively easy formula though. And for most purposes, I mean, you can do it in Excel, yeah, but it's almost easier in a lot of cases if all you're doing is this perpetuity formula, just use your calculator to do it. But that's your call. Right now, I think you should get ready to take a quiz. And once you're finished with the quiz, that's all I have for you today. I thank you.